You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson, and I'm joined today by Bruce Adams and Marty Foster. Good evening, gentlemen. How are we this evening? Marty, it's good to have you here this evening, and you are joining us from your new studio, aren't you? How is it? Uh, well, it, it's got vinyl flooring now. I've started a mural on the wall. All my tools and toys are arranged around me, so I'm, I'm in my happy place. But it all depends on how good this Wi-Fi signal <laughs> holds up. So, yeah, I'm, I'm good, man. Uh, how are you guys? Healthy and alive. That's marvelous. I'm doing ever. fantastic. I'm doing fantastic. I wanted to get into the topics that you had brought to my attention the other day. You said that you want today you wanted to talk about a few people in particular. You wanted to talk about Katie Hopkins. You wanted to talk about Tommy yep. Robinson. You wanted a to talk bit. about yep. Nigel Farage. Uh, uh-huh. These are three controversial characters, very popular. We know they've been in the uh, the public eye for quite some time. And two of those three, I know for a fact, have been kicked off of social media. I don't know about Nigel. I think he's still there. Uh, he's not quite as as hard line as the other two. Yeah, um, he still got kicked off LBC though, didn't he? He got He did. Yes, off he, the he radio yeah, station. Yeah, he got he got axed from LBC. Uh you wanted to get into uh, the NHS a little bit. We can talk about the NHS. And you want to talk about how the right is getting manipulated into chaos and anarchy. So, these are three great topics. Uh so let's uh let's go ahead and get started. Where would you like to, out of those three that I just mentioned that you rattled off to me just the other day? Where would you like to start on those? They're kind of all linked. So, so wherever we start, we're going to go through a, a complicated weave when we talk about these people. When we talk about Katie Hopkins in particular, let's, let's start with Katie. She was born in 75, so she's a middle-aged woman, absolute media trollop. She just wants fame. Um, she actually started out as, as uh, in, in the military. She went to Sandhurst, the Army's college, the, the UK um, military Academy at Sandhurst. Uh, curious, uh, I don't is know. That, is that like your equivalent to what the U.S. has is for like West Point? Is that kind of what you're, is that what it is? Yeah, that's okay. that's exactly okay. it. So so it's where officers go to train the people who join the army as officers. The Navy have Dartmoor, which is the Naval College. Uh, and I think the RAF is Cranwell is is where the, the, the Air Force officers train. Anyway, so so she's she's got a a typical conservative background. Uh, started off in the military, went into I, I'm not sure how long she served or even if she graduated from Sandhurst, but that that's kind of irrelevant. She's been on programs like The Apprentice here in the UK, and she's also done things like I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, and she had uh, a very outspoken presence on Twitter. And they have recently kicked her off Twitter. She speaks her mind. She fires from the hip. But of late, since I've seen her come across onto Parler and I've actually paid attention to what she's saying, mm-hmm. I've started to m- mistrust her motives and certainly don't approve of her methods. 
I had a conversation, and I, I briefly mentioned this to you yesterday when we were touching base for about five minutes, and I had spoken to someone that I've known for a very long time, and someone who's... Now, by the way, the person I'm talking about, they're typically a... Um, the uh, the person that I spoke to, they're typically uh, a labor voter, right? So they're they're on the... Uh, if you want to call them, they're on the left. Uh, however, this last time, it was for Boris because they were the one that crossed over because they they wanted to, they wanted out of the EU, but that's side issue. But the person that I spoke to, and I specifically asked them because I just wanted to gauge kind of the reaction of the average person over there, and this is pretty much the average person. And I I flat out asked this person. I said, Katie Hopkins. I said, now according to her, she is probably one of the most banned people in the country, according to her, and she is very outspoken, as you said. She's been kicked off of certain social media platforms. Don't know if she's been kicked out of Facebook or anything, but I would imagine that's if she hasn't, she's probably on her way there. But I asked this person who's, like I said, is typically on the left as it relates to English politics. I said, what do you think of her? What's your opinion of her? And the person told me, now, mind you, leftist. The person told me, well, I don't really agree with a lot of what she says. However, they didn't believe that she was on the far right as far as placing her in the ideological spectrum somewhere. They didn't believe that she was on the far right. They had it in their head that she is more concerned with the lines of national security when she's talking about things such as immigration and things of that nature. Issues as it relates to uh, what's going on in South Africa, for example, the attention she brings to that. What's going on with uh, this? I don't know if this is a real claim or whatever. The uh, the ISIS bride that's being allowed back into the UK, That's she's making a big deal out of that right now that I've seen the last couple of days from her that I've been following her on uh, on Parler. And that's the kind of answer that I was getting from someone who is, like I said, is typically a, a labor oriented voter is they're telling me that she seems more concerned with in their eyes. She seems more concerned with promoting national security as opposed to somebody that's being a far right extremist. That's the answer I got. Yeah. And, and all that sounds perfectly plausible. And it may well be part of her thought process in these videos she's putting onto Parler where she's dancing around pretending to be Shamima Begin in a um a burqa and parodying this young girl. And I've got no sympathy for Shamima Begin. She made her bed, she should lie in it. She there is no way she should be allowed back into the country. And if she does come back, she should be immediately arrested uh and tried and charged and tried for treasonous crimes because basically she she left to join um, a, a foreign hostile force mm-hmm. that have committed hostile acts on the UK soil. And whether or not she actually did any of these things herself, she was certainly part of the, the organisation that enabled them to happen. Yeah, so Katie Hopkins is parodying Shamima Begin, Begum, and um, I agree with her that she should not be permitted to come back to the UK, or if she is permitted to come back to the UK, which I think the High Court has ruled that she is, then she should be immediately arrested. Some people are saying, oh, the Liberals, uh, you know, the Liberal Party are saying she should come back to face trial and she could help us understand what made her become radicalised, what were the causes of her radicalization what made a 17 year old girl decide to leave her family and and go to to live in syria and be the bride of several jihadists because apparently there was a succession of men that she was married to under sharia law um but they kept getting killed 
So she had to marry another one and she had two babies while she was out there, neither of which survived. And the, the issue is that English law, British law is based on precedent. So if the precedent is that someone who has belonged to a terrorist organization and is possibly guilty of uh, various offenses against the state, if they can come back to the UK, then that opens the gates for all of the other ones that are sat out there, the young fighting age males that went out. They're the real danger. They're the real danger if they come back and don't get immediately locked up. But you know what? I'm, I, I've been called all kinds of names on um, on Parler. I've been I've been called a liberal. I've been called a a, a lefty. I, I'm not a lefty. What I actually want to see happen to these people who are out there in in Syria and Iraq and you know wherever they're being held is I want to see them stay there. I want to see them may, be made to rebuild that country that they've wrecked. I definitely don't want them to come back to the UK on some things. I'm probably three or four steps to the right of Katie Hopkins, but I'm not putting on the uh, the videos onto Parler. I'm not trying to rally hatred against the Muslims that are law-abiding in the UK, which is what this woman does. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one for me to to criticise her because I I actually believe in some of the things she says. But in too many of the things, I'm seeing the race baiting, which is causing people to become more and more angry and frustrated, those on the right. I'm also seeing her criticise the National Health Service on a regular basis. And it's because she's playing to to an audience in America and the UK, that triggers alarm bells for me. And I've talked about it before, Brexit and the way in which we pay for our health service has started to raise questions. It started to pique people's interest in grabbing hold of large chunks of the NHS uh, and transferring us to some kind of private healthcare insurance scheme as opposed to a state-run free at the point of delivery health service. So these are the things that Katie Hopkins is is ringing alarm bells for me for anyway. No, I think you're right to uh, to be concerned about those things, especially when you speak on the NHS. And we were going to kind of get into that uh, here shortly. But since we're on that subject, I mean, let's let's go ahead and let's jump to uh, let's jump to Tommy Robinson. Now, he is he's a very controversial character. I believe he started. You can correct me if I'm wrong here. I believe he started. He's the one of the original founders or the founder of the EDL, the English Defense League. Is that correct? Yeah, he took the wrong path. It's a it's a pity that he did because he's a good speaker. He's an he intelligent man. Yeah. Um, but he took the path that was taking the law into in, into their own hands and started to form the EDL, patrol the streets of his hometown, which quite frankly doesn't feel like somewhere in the UK. It does feel like you're in Pakistan or Bangladesh or somewhere like that because there hasn't been proper integration. There's been massive ghettos of Muslim immigrants uh, set up within within the town, and he doesn't feel like he's welcome in, in, in his own hometown. So the English Defence League was all about making life uncomfortable for Muslims. It was about trying to raise the far right, so to speak, 
against the Muslims. And, you know, they were guilty of attacking mosques. They were guilty. They were guilty of attacking people in the street. But Tommy would say this was all tit for tat stuff because there were Muslim gangs intimidating the, the, the white families within, within Luton as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, he took the wrong path. If, if he'd have skipped the whole EDL thing, and gone straight to doing what he was doing, which was investigative journalism. I always have trouble saying that. Then I think they would have had a a really hard time to stop him. And I think he would have a lot more respect uh, and, and power behind his words if he'd have just taken that route. One of the up and coming, uh, you know, YouTubers uh, and investigative journalists such as Stacey Dooley. Have you heard of her? I have She's, not. The um, only person I've heard of outside of uh, Mr. Robinson is, which he's been banned pretty much everywhere, I think. Uh, Parlor yeah. has allowed him on. And I know another place where he's got a, uh, a video channel up. People that have been banned off of YouTube, that's where they go. So they give them an open platform. Obviously, you can't do any extremist talk, n- none of that kind. It is out there on no. the web. It's not like it's hiding on the dark web or something. And they do still have terms of service that you have to agree to. You can't have extremist speech or anything like that. If you do admit extremist speech on some of these alternative platforms outside of the mainstream, then they promptly remove you, as they should. As they should. You shouldn't be taking those types of things and promoting those kinds of violent, hateful rhetoric messages to the to the general populace, because we're trying to bring people together here through dialogue and through conversation, because we need to be discussing ideas. We don't need to be divided any more than what we are. You've got a massive corporate media that are in the process of trying to divide Western civilization against itself. And you have those of us that are down here at the grassroots that just want to sit down and talk and be civil. And I agree with you that that's the line that that uh, Robinson should have taken in the first place. And I know that I'm kind of off subject here, but no, I, I have not heard of that person. The only person, like I said in the beginning that I should have answered straight away, I do apologize. The only person I've heard outside of him that I've seen as an up and coming on YouTube is a guy, he's in Australia. I don't know if you've heard of him. His name's Avi Yemeni. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen Avi. Obviously he he speaks from uh, a Jewish perspective as well as he does. the right yeah. perspective, which yeah. you know most people would think is is a contradiction in terms. How can someone who is Jewish be talking for the right-wing politics, considering that, you know, what happened with the Nazis, Hitler. um, Well, that shows you how far we've shifted, though. That that shows you how far we've shifted in the West. I don't think that's necessarily a a view from right or left. See, I'm one of those guys, and I I know all of us are kind of like this. We really don't identify as right or left. We We just like to talk about ideas and we want to be left alone by the government. That's really about all it boils down to, I think. So yeah. when it when it comes to that, I mean, it's it's the the power structure and it's the corporate mainstream media that group people up. They're the ones that assign labels to people to balkanize groups against each other and turn them against each other. That that's what they do. Rather than have us come together and talk about common ideas and what we can do to improve our communities, our families, and our societies, which is what we should be doing. Those are the conversations that we need to be having. I don't really agree that the fact that we're in like this right and left kind of thing, that's just an invention. But that's where the media puts everybody. And I like to think that we're outside of that and we can actually discuss ideas and and real things. And that's Again, that's where they've turned it. That That's where everything's been shaped and reshaped. And this is how people view it now is, oh, you're hard right, you're hard left, you're middle right, you're middle. No, no. I'm for what works. 
And I'm not for what doesn't work. It's that simple. It's that simple. And I'm also for compromise. We can make rational decisions based on reasonable dialogue. Would you not agree? Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree that that's how we all should approach our political thinking. Earlier today, I was, you know, knowing what we were going to, roughly what we're going to discuss today, I was thinking about it and particularly about Tommy Robinson. If it had come from uh, th- that direction of, uh, of just looking at the facts, stating this is the problem and then addressing the problem by raising awareness and maybe even standing for office, standing as a, as a member of parliament or local councillor, those mm-hmm. kind of things, that would have been a much better path for him. But he chose to uh, go to where he thought his power base was, which was the young, white, working class men who, who follow football, for instance, uh, that could be mobilised to attack what he saw as a threat. And that threat being large Muslim communities living in uh, almost exclusively Muslim areas, um, you know, no integration, no interaction between the, the people socially either. That's what you should have done. But Katie Hopkins, on the other hand, again, an intelligent lady, hasn't organized any violence, unlike Tommy Robinson, which he clearly did. But what she says, the way she says it, and all the rest of it, she's actually much, much more of a racist than Tommy is. Her rhetoric is far more racist than Tommy's is. Tommy isn't talking about a race, he's talking about the religion. And, you know, he distrusts Islam. And so he talks about that, whereas Katie Hopkins clearly makes it about the people as well as the religion. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking everyone should approach a problem by first of all, looking at the facts. If you stick to just stating facts, you shouldn't be open to the ad hominem. You know, what Tommy's doing now with raising awareness of the fact that these grooming gangs are still going on, that there's been massive cover-ups by local authorities and by the police. So Tommy's raising awareness and keeps talking about it because people who are guilty by doing nothing in these situations because they're in positions of authority, they need to be held to account as well as the the people who are doing the... the in fact, grooming is, is too nice a word. They were basically rape gangs and they need to be punished. And the people who allowed it to go on for so long as it did and be covered up to a certain extent, they should be punished as well. So to that end, I am fully in support of what Tommy is trying to do now. I think he's turned a corner. He's no longer focused on attacking the, the race. He's he's attacking the real problems that exist in these towns and cities across the UK where there are large Muslim communities, where the girls in those Muslim communities are heavily protected by their families, by their own families, where people are taught that white girls are fair game. And this has been, you know, the the reasoning, the rationale that these gangs have have applied. The white girls are fair game. They're kafir, they're infidel. We can do what we like to them. And that's what happened. And Tommy really shouldn't have did what he did when he drew attention to certain individuals during their trial because he was warned by the police he did it anyway and wound up going to jail 
himself for contempt of court. Yes, this was um, the last time he went. Yeah. yeah, is that correct? He he showed up outside the courtroom, I believe, and he started. Yeah. Uh, I believe it was he was uh, he was trying to interview. I believe it was one of the the leaders of that gang or something of that nature. And then, of course, it turned into a, a media frenzy. And of course, uh, all of the uh, the supporters of him. I mean, is you know, like you said, the uh, the footballer crowd, if you if you will, uh, they were all out there, yeah. and there were uh, large demonstrations and things of that nature, scuffles with the police and whatnot. And of course, he was jailed uh, very quickly, very quickly. Believe well, it or not, yeah, because during that he, time, he'd already. Sorry to interrupt you, but no, go ahead. he'd al- he'd already been in court and had been told don't do it and kind of given a suspended sentence. And the reason he could be jailed so quickly was that basically that a judge had already passed sentence but said, we'll let you go. If you behave yourself, this will not be applied. But because he persisted and went against the judge's wishes and tried to get these interviews... He was arrested and put in jail very, very quickly. Oh, you're, you're the media right. failed. Yeah, the, the the media failed to mention that part of it that you just mentioned there. That part was so conveniently left out. They just said, oh, yes, in an unprecedented case, uh, Tommy Robinson was uh, sentenced to blah, blah, blah. They failed to mention that it was a suspended sentence in the first place. Just to be absolutely straight, I'm not 100% certain it was a suspended sentence or whether it was some kind of warning or caution that he was under. He was put under a caution to cease and desist. Okay. And because he didn't, they were able legally to put him straight in jail. And and that's what happened because everything else in this country goes through due process. He would have had, if there was a chance that he shouldn't have gone to jail, then he, he's got legal representation. He's, he's fairly well funded and they would have fought, fought that case and he would have been out on bail awaiting another trial date. But that trial wasn't necessary because he'd already been formally cautioned inside a court. But the exact details, I'm no expert on, but I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure he wasn't just thrown arbitrarily in jail. I can't imagine that he would be. I mean, I, I would assume that your your justice system there, I mean, I'm not entirely familiar with it. I mean, I understand the basic process. It is a little different from the uh, from the U.S. system, but I, I don't think that you you have injustice in all cases. I understand you have certain cases that, you know, you, you hear about certain prominent cases that kind of get skated off to the side or they get ignored or, you know, things of that nature or refusing to prosecute on top of that. But as far as handing down an arbitrary sentence like that, that doesn't happen in the UK, I don't believe. Is that correct? I would say in modern times, uh, it hasn't happened at all. There are no arbitrary sentences handed down. Right. We've got, okay. you know, a full legal system from magistrates courts through to crown courts uh, and the higher courts uh, across the countries of the UK. And yeah, arbitrary sentences do not get handed down. People do not just get picked up off the street and flung in jail. There's a process and the process was followed in in this case for Tommy. Okay, let's uh let's get to this last individual you mentioned which I love this guy by the way. Uh I've always said if you guys don't want him, well the US could use him. We need somebody like him up there on the hill shouting at these people. This is the nature of your European systems here that that you can do this and you can behave the way that he behaves. Uh and that's Nigel Farage. Not only has he been a charismatic individual in the United Kingdom, but also on the stages of the European Commission. And be honest with you, he's made headlines over the years 
And I, I love what he's got to say. And I love how he hands it to them as uh, just from where he's at on it, just from the, the way that he describes the situations that he does. And he stands up there and he, he literally calls those people out about how shameful they are and how you arbitrarily do these things. You don't consult with the people. There's no democracy and you should all be fired. And, uh, you know, you're not held accountable for the actions that you're taking. What are you people doing? And you're not paying attention to what the market's trying to tell you. You're trying to make these decisions and you don't know what you're doing. I mean, he's, of course, I'm just kind of paraphrasing here, of course, but the way that he speaks to these people, what do they do to him when he was an MEP? What were they doing to him? They were doing their absolute best to ignore him when he would speak about these things. I mean, you look around, the cameras would switch when you would see him speaking on something and they would be sitting back there texting or tweeting or whatever it is they were doing. And they just wouldn't pay any attention to him because I think largely they knew he was right on the issues that he was bringing up. That's my take on it. I'm just looking at it from a common sense standpoint. And he was trying to bring some common sense to the light of these these bureaucrats that had no idea what they were even doing. So or worse yet, they did know what they were doing. But this guy, he's not a banned person. He's not he's not in my eyes. He's not an extremist. Uh, He is very outspoken. He's very charismatic. He knows how to speak to people. He knows how to speak to a crowd. I've seen him give speeches. I've seen him. You know, he he spent some time in in the U.S. after the Brexit vote. He he went to the U.S. and he uh, he spoke at a uh, at a campaign rally at a campaign event for Donald Trump. And, you know, I I can't say that uh, I can't say that I dislike the guy. I don't think that he's a um, shall we say a a nice fit for the uh, for the U.S. way of things. But you know, because he's he's English at the end of the day and he believes in, in your system. And I respect that. I respect that. But I like the fact that he stands up for democracy. He stands up and, and he's a patriot, in my opinion, for, for the United Kingdom. He's been fighting for your independence. He's been fighting for the Brexit vote from the start of this thing. I mean, 10 years ago, I remember Nigel Farage talking about having a democratic referendum in the UK to get the UK out of the EU because you were getting screwed. Uh, and well, more or less, you were getting robbed. Uh, just my opinion on the the deals and and the payments and and everything else. I mean, it was extortion, as far as I'm concerned. What you what you people were putting in. But he's not a banned individual. He's very well spoken. And I know you've had some issues with him about his uh, his stances as far as the NHS and insurance companies, private insurance companies, medical insurance companies, and all of that. And at at the end of the day, he's a businessman when it comes down to it. And that's where he started. That's where he started. He was sitting around in a pub, which I think that's where most of your deals get done over there. At least they used to before COVID. But uh, he was sitting around in a pub with a lot of other business people. They were unhappy with the way things were going in the UK. So they decided to start UKIP. And that's where it was founded. That's my understanding of it. But uh, Nigel Farage, I mean, I, I gave a, a long thing there on my take of him. What, what do you think of, uh, where, where do you want to go with Nigel? Well, I was fir- I first made aware of him by a family member um, who, who was saying that, that this man's speaking nothing but sense. You know, the EU is, is bad for us. It's always take, take, take. And I was of very much the same opinion as, as you. But the moment the results of the referendum were, you know, revealed and we've got, what was it, 52 to 48%, mm-hmm. 52% in favour of leaving, that was the reason that the the EU Commission didn't take uh, Farage ser- seriously. It was because it was such a close thing and they never believed for a moment that, that we would actually leave. And of course, they've done everything they possibly can to slow that process down. But 
Farage, the moment that the results were revealed, he just disappeared. He he separated himself from everything that was was going on. He went to America and he started making those contacts be, to to make money, basically. And that's the bit I I dislike him for now. That's the bit I don't really trust. The way he's cozied up to these you know big pharma and insurance companies. Good friend uh, and someone who sponsored him is Aaron Banks, who's the insurance man. And I just I find it a little bit disappointing that when they then had to stand up the after UKIP, there was the Brexit party that stood ready to put an MP forward for the general election in everywhere where it looked like Labour wouldn't vote for the Tories, but they might vote for a Brexit party person. Mm. Um, but in the end, they all stood down. There was, you know, none of them appeared on the ballots. Because what what we're seeing now is a very, very strong conservative government in the UK. They can get virtually anything they like through, which is good as long as you can trust who's there. And the recent events and the way the government have revealed itself during COVID have led me to be suspicious of them as well. Actually, I think I probably just need to go and see a psychiatrist and get myself checked for paranoia. (laughs) But I honestly don't trust any politician at the moment they're either no one speaking no they're not not a single one i i couldn't put my finger on a single politician that's you know something i I kind of i kind of figured i kind of figured that that was that that might have been the case because i mean it's been how long has it been since boris was actually not the general but previous to that it's it's been a couple of years hasn't it since he was it's it's been two years since he came in as caretaker two years um, okay yeah now i remember i remember that that you called in to the james o'brien show last year about this time last year i believe it was and you were saying to him at that time which i have that clip by the way but it's it's rather long i mean i can play part of it if you like but you were saying to him that you didn't trust anybody in the entire body politic. And O'Brien had said to you, James O'Brien had said to you that that was a little bit silly. You're saying you still feel like that even after the general? Uh, particularly because O'Brien, who I despise, tells me that it's silly, not that I shouldn't be trusting someone. That's because they want to pigeon. You know, people like O'Brien want to pigeonhole you. They want to say, you're a Corbynista, you're a, a Tory, you're a a liberal they want to put you into a box so that they know how to handle you and you know i'm not having that from people like james o'brien okay the, fair, the enough. Man, fair enough the man upsets me intensely well no i was but, i was i get that i was just more i was more or less trying to see if you'd because you had a general election between the time that you would win on his show in the lbc until now so i kind of thought maybe with and especially with uh, the Tory government having a majority now, you might have possibly shifted your opinion a little bit and found someone that you might trust. Well, there's lots of things. Um, you know, Boris, for a start, didn't shower himself in glory in the first few months of his tenure as as prime minister. He hid in a fridge from reporters. He told lies. He was discovered to have been paying some IT consultant quite a lot of money for very little work, and it was all rather suspicious and looked like another affair. It was one thing after another that allowed the media to undermine his position. I don't actually care what the man does in his private life, but what they have to do is keep the media 
from having the ability to attack them. They just need to be smarter about the way they do things. I'm not saying they should cover everything up. That that would be wrong for me to say that. But I just wish he'd have played a straight bat in the first few months of his, his tenure as, as prime minister. The way in which they've handled COVID, we've got lots of aspects that we just don't trust about COVID. But when they shut down the economy, the Tory government put the furlough plan into place, which was a damn sight better than what happened in the US. As I recall, in the US, people were paid a single payment of $1,200. Yes. That was a one-off. That was a one-off. And then, yes, and then what? They're, and then they're what? talking well, they're talking about another one. And also you have the Paycheck Protection Plan, which is the additional $600 a week in bribing people to stay home and not work. So essentially, well, yeah. someone that's, well, essentially, no, this is what it is. And that's that's about to run out. So now you see Congress is kind of scrambling over there. But what's actually happening in a lot of cases, not in all cases, but what's happening in a lot of cases, and these are the people that are ones that are screaming about, well, we need to stay locked down. We need to wear masks and blah, 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 because they're the ones that are benefiting from all this money that's being thrown at them. Some people are making more money by not working than they are actually going back to work. If you cut that 600 off, then those same people that are screaming about staying home now are suddenly going to come out of their houses and be down at the mayor's offices in the state houses demanding we reopen. Yeah, well, here in the UK, the furlough system for non-essential workers, all essential workers, those that are required to keep the country running. So emergency services, law enforcement, medical uh, professionals, people who provide services to, to supermarkets, warehouses, those kind of things, getting food around the country. They have always continued to work, but it was non-essential staff. The government did a good thing and they opened up this furlough system where they would get 80% of their pay to stay at home and and reduce the chances of spreading the infection. So that starts to end in August, towards the end of August, you know, next month. And, you know, I think that was a good thing that gov- that the government have done. But the various restrictions and, and the, the lockdown uh, rules and regulations uh, and again, we were talking about this just before we came on air. Mask wearing. Tomorrow, Friday the 24th of July, is the day that we have to start wearing masks in supermarkets and shops. We've wait- they, they made the announcement 10 days ago. Why, why have they made that kind of announcement? If, if it was crucial and critical to stopping the spread of COVID-19, why didn't they make it an immediate stipulation. You know, there's all kinds of reports, none of which can I, I can fact check accurately, but there's all kinds of reports of the government ordering PPE, personal protective, protective equipment, from companies paying huge sums and the PPE never arriving, never getting to where it was needed. I don't know how much truth there is, but it's the mainstream media is full of stories like these. And, you know, the, the, there is seldom smoke without fire. And because our legal system still works pretty well, if they were printing inaccuracies, they will be taken to court and they will be prosecuted for it. They are not just printing lies. There, there is always an element of truth, even in the you know the the most biased of media outlets. There's always an element of truth in what they say. There has to be, otherwise they would get sued, and you know they'd be out of business so fast their feet wouldn't touch the ground. So, you know, I just wish 
Boris Johnson, who is a liar. He's a proven liar, but he was the man who would get us out of Europe. I just wish he could straighten up and fly right. That way, that would give me a politician I could actually trust. Farage, who we started to talk about, he really is only interested in business. He did everything that he did to get us out of the EU, to drive that cause. I'm pretty sure he was sponsored by some fairly, you know, rich anti-EU people to make that happen. Otherwise, the man wouldn't have spent 20 years banging his gums in, in the EU parliament, being roundly ignored, booed and jeered if there wasn't some kind of payoff from it. Speaking of uh, payoffs, you say that uh, he's doing all this because he's a, you know, he's he's a businessman. I mean, that's that's what he is. He's also been a staunch advocate and uh, Katie Hopkins as well, it seems like, because I wanted to transition to this. They're talking about the NHS and and let's let's get over to the NHS. You're talking about mismanagement in some cases with this whole COVID thing and all this corona stuff and you're talking about mask mandates. I might have an answer to that mask mandate. I did a couple of podcasts with Bruce last week and we talked about what's possibly behind the uh, the more sinister side of these uh, these mask mandates. And if you notice, that's only happening in certain countries. The countries it's happening in, the US and the UK, that's where it seems to be happening the most because those two countries are not going along with the program. And by that, I mean the US is taking hard action. Trump is taking hard action, more so. Uh, and you're not really hearing too much about this. Bruce and I actually had to dig for this to find out what was actually going on. The US is taking hard action against the CCP. The UK is following suit. You guys are following along with what we're doing. You're taking action against the CCP. You've barred Huawei from your country's infrastructure, from allowing them to come in. And the day after you barred the company of Huawei is the next day they announced that mask mandate. Now, I'm not going to sit here and connect dots and call it some kind of conspiracy, but I find it very coincidental that that happened the day after Huawei was executive ordered or your equivalent of that out of your country. So let's but but keeping with the agenda here, let's go with uh, let's go with the NHS. Katie Hopkins, which we started talking about her initially, Nigel Farage. These are two people, along with Donald, when he gave his his speech there in the UK. You've heard these three individuals talk about uh, the NHS. And I heard you mention it there briefly. You say that it needs to remain a free point of delivery uh, service, which if it works for you, and I've heard people that have gone through your, your medical system, I've talked to them, their experiences with it. One of which that I've spoken to in the last couple of years was a life threatening had a brain aneurysm, poor guy. And he said it was the first time he'd ever actually fallen into the the system and had to have been, you know, rehabilitated and everything. And he couldn't stop singing the praises about how great of care he got. So you've got that argument to it. You've got people that that believe in it. You've got other people that say, well, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe we should be looking at the the insurance side of it as opposed to the government side of it. You're looking at a, a tax issue here. Uh, as far as taxing the populace when you have the NHS system. But as far as I know, and I'm talking about management here and, and the way that it's structured, as far as I know, I don't believe that it's it's bankrupt or, or broken per se, which is kind of what I'm hearing out of uh, Katie Hopkins and, and Nigel Farage. Is, is that kind of is that kind of the line we want to go down here? Well, I'm, I'm just going to look it up. But uh, the annual budget for the NHS through taxpayers' money, through national insurance and, and taxes, is huge. The figure for 2019 was £140.4 billion. All of that money is raised by taxation. So that's a huge market. That's a big market. And that's what people want to get into a chunk of. 
and people like me don't want them to to get involved. We want to keep. I want to keep it the way it is. I've experienced the very best of healthcare in the United Arab Emirates. You know, private medical insurance, one hundred percent, not eighty forty. Uh, sorry, eighty twenty, but one hundred percent medical care. You go in, there's no waiting time. You have every test that they could possibly do because the insurance are going to pay for it all. And then they give you a diagnosis and you're straight out with a program of treatment or, yeah. or the next appointment, you know. But the UK is a much bigger country. We're, we're 65 million people. The UAE is actually, you know, 1 million Emiratis and 6 million expats. Those 1 million Emiratis have all got free healthcare. They don't even have to have insurance. They'll just get free healthcare. So a lot of them are very rich and they pay for the next level up. So they've got the, there's always a purchasable upgrade in the UAE because they, they love an upgrade. You know, even on the, the recent, it's a monorail system around Dubai. There's gold and diamond class and then there's silver class and bronze class. That's the way they are. But it's a small country, small population. The expat workers basically pay for the Emiratis to have their medical care because the 6 million expats that can never become citizens but are there paying for insurance, earning the country money in other ways, that covers the, the medical insurance for the actual Emirati people. Here in the UK, we're 65 million strong. Not everybody is working so that they even have to pay national insurance and tax. A lot of people don't earn enough to actually pay anything in, but they will still get their health care because there are people that do earn enough to contribute that covers other people. And I know that's something that you weren't too impressed with, with the idea of you wouldn't want that to happen if you were paying those kind of taxes because people who abuse their bodies, people who don't look after their personal health, they don't really deserve it. But that's the situation we're in. In the UK, free at the point of delivery, you may have to wait, but you will get seen, you will get a proper diagnosis eventually, and you will get treatment. My concern is that if the funding for the NHS gets diverted elsewhere or part of it, and these these insurance schemes start to be introduced, we're going to wind up with that same situation that you have in the US, where 500,000 people a year go bankrupt as a result of medical bills, medical insurance bills, because of the 80-20 system. So that's where I am with the, the NHS. 2019 had a budget of 140 billion, and that's a big market in anyone's book. So it's no surprise that these businessmen are looking at trying to grab a chunk of it. You know, I was never really um, I, I'm not I'm not against it per se, but I mean, I, I'm OK. You, you talked about healthcare and and the different healthcare structures in when you were out in the UAE. Well, there's a similar healthcare structure to where I'm at. It is private insurance that I have. And it does cost, but I'm not paying that much more than I was paying in the States. And I get 100% coverage, 100%. You can't get 100% 100 coverage in the United States unless you're a senator. That's not going to happen. 80-20 is the best you're going to hope for. But yeah, do you look so? What they tend to do, uh, you've got people with pre-existing conditions. Yes. You know, so so if people have got a pre-existing condition, their premium goes up and up and up, or they can't get insurance at all. Yes. And I'm concerned that as soon as they get a, a, a foothold in this market, they will cause an avalanche. And that 
that money, the government will divert it elsewhere. You you told me, you and Bruce both said, you don't trust your government, meaning the government of the United States, the, the federal government. You wouldn't trust them to, to run a, a lemonade stand because the money would disappear. And I'm pretty sure our government would do the same as well. If there was a chance that people would continue paying their national insurance and their tax, then the money that currently goes into the NHS budget would be reduced because they would be expecting and encouraging people to take out private medical health insurance and the insurance companies would be taking a chunk of that. And we've seen what happens when when insurance companies and hospitals start to get fiscal. The hospitals overinflate the procedure, the cost of each procedure, and the insurance companies try to get away without paying. So that's why the hospitals further inflate and then they get bartered down to to something that both sides are accepting. And I, do, I just don't want to see that. I want us to carry on with the system we've got. It's it's also the pharmaceutical companies and the, the, the middlemen that are selling the pharmaceuticals to the hospitals that are charging an absorbent amount. And then the hospitals are trying to cover their costs. And yeah, so yeah, there, there is a perpetual thing going on there. Yes. Yeah, thanks, Bruce. Because you know, I'm I'm talking about another country system here. As I've said before, I've only visited the states a few times. Uh, I never needed medical attention while I was there, so I don't know exactly what the situation is. But I'm I watch enough TV, and by the looks of it, if you've got good insurance, you've got great medical health care. But in the UK, you know, ten percent of the population has 90% of the wealth here in the UK. People cannot afford it. There's too many people that would fall through the gaps, the sort of people that if they had to find 20% of a medical bill would go broke. They'd have to, you know, there used to be these really horrible payday loan companies. They've just been basically made illegal. So people would be relying on those to, to cover those bills and they'd go into a cycle of debt and they'd wind up worse. So a lot of people wouldn't go to the hospital because they couldn't afford the 20%. And I think I think that happens in the States. I think there's a lot of people, the very, very poor or the very old, you have Medicaid and Medicare. So they're covered. Veterans, those that have served in the in, in the armed forces, they're covered. But the rest of the population was your population, 350 million people, something like that. Roughly. Yeah, roughly. Yeah. So there's an awful lot of people who who fall through the gaps there, and and your division of wealth is probably fairly similar to ours, with about ten percent of the country's populace having ninety percent of the country's wealth. So you know it concerns me. I, I've mentioned this before, and I'll, I'll stop going on about it now. And I just want it stated: this is why I have a mistrust of Farage. This is why I don't want to see Katie Hopkins on Parler talking about our failing social health care. If our social health care is failing, it's probably due to, you know, this mass immigration. And and the, there are other factors as well. We've run down our education and training system, and there's more and more people getting strung out on drugs, more people who are alcoholics. There are more people who are eating the wrong foods, becoming diabetic. It's because of this thing I've mentioned before, we have an underclass, the class of people that have had two or three generations on benefits. These are things that Katie Hopkins speaks about as well. 
And like I say, I can support some of the things she says, but when she criticizes the NHS, it sets an alarm bell ringing that she's being paid to do so, so that we can all start to get used to the idea that the NHS is going to disappear and be replaced by a a private medical healthcare insurance system. And when she race baits, it's firing that underclass, you know, the the less well-educated amongst us that think that immigrants are to blame for all our problems. And quite frankly, they're not. But that's the kind of hatred and bad feeling that Katie's posts can develop and, you know, make happen. So Farage and Katie, I don't trust their motives. Tommy took the wrong step. I wish he hadn't have done. But I think he's less contentious and less of a problem to me as an individual out of the three of them. You know, you mentioned there about insurance and, and about, uh, you know, what would happen if the if the country would fall into that. A lot to take in there, by the way. <laughs> How people just simply wouldn't get medical care. Yes, that happens. You know, that, that happens in, in a society like the U.S. where they have the system that they have. And it's really a sad thing to see. But the, the fact is, is, I mean, yes, we've mentioned that we don't trust the U.S. government enough to be able to administer the health care. Look at the way that they handle Medicare, Medicaid and the VA now. The veterans, the the poor, the um, the elderly, they can't handle that now. It's bankrupt already. All of that. It's it, it doesn't have any money left. So there's no logical way to try and 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 put it into a perspective where they're going to be able to manage something even bigger than that. It's just not feasible. It's not feasible. And on top of that, you don't have any money in order to do that. The United States is we're upwards of twenty seven trillion dollars in debt. How are you going to take on a healthcare system like that? It's just not possible. It's not feasible. No, it, it's I'm not, not advocating that you should. No, I understand. Because, no, I understand. Because, you know, this was a big decision made back in the uh, late 40s, early 50s to right. run uh, run our healthcare this way. And we've stuck with that now for 70 years. You know, it's been, yes. it's been working for 70 years. We don't let government take money away from it easily. We keep, you know, our civil service, our healthcare professionals, our medical professional bodies, you know, the Royal College of Surgeons, all, all those kind of organisations, as well as the, the upper house, the House of Lords, come down heavily on the government where there's the slightest suspicion that they're starting to divert funds away from the NHS. Unfortunately, one of the things they've done to save money is buy in pre-qualified people. So our European counterparts are here working within the NHS, you know, doctors and nurses, and they are all absolutely vital. Freedom of movement within the EU has allowed successive governments of both colours, blue and red, to basically undermine and downgrade our training and education infrastructure, particularly when it comes to the training of doctors and nurses. Because people are available from the continent who are pre-trained, so the country where they've come from has paid for their training, and we take them, and that's worked for successive governments. What I want to see, or what I was hoping to see from Boris Johnson, was a really big investment back into those kind of things. So he did, but I haven't, I haven't he heard camp- much about it yet. Well, he did campaign on the uh, what was it, twenty thousand new nurses, or was it fifty thousand new nurses? Yeah, but that that was a fudge figure as well because okay. basically it, it worked on part of that twenty thousand was 
the retention of nurses that would have been leaving the you know the uh, and and so trying to keep them in the in the NHS stop their retirements in some cases voluntarily you know by making terms and conditions better for them but what they also need to do as well as put those extra nurses into the NHS right now they also need to uh, open up the bursaries you know, uh, a nurse, someone who's going to work on a very, very, well, I wouldn't say very, very low, but a reasonably low wage uh, for the next 25, 30 years as a, as a nurse and, and never go above about forty two to £45,000 a year, even at the top of their their profession. That, my, pardon you. Pardon, I don't mean to Hello, GP. How are you doing? <laughs> Good, good. You brought up the wages there. Um, yeah. Your nurses only make forty five here. They make uh, about a hundred. Any they can make over a hundred thousand easy. Yeah, that's because Especially. that's because the hospitals. That's another reason. And the insurance, the hospitals, and the insurance companies inflate the bills. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's a vocation. It's a calling. It's it's almost like uh, you, I'm not a big fan of religion, but you know, priests. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't go in it for the money, do they? And nurses here in the UK, at least, don't go in it for the money. They go in it because they're they're called to it. They want to look after people. They want to care for people. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that the nurses that are earning $100,000 a year in the US don't have the same kind of feelings. Mm-hmm. But here in the UK, you can say categorically, no one goes into nursing to make money. It's not a place to get rich. Here so, it is. Yeah. But you're not in the UK, but yeah. So that being the case, having stated that, when you realise that a nurse will finish her training with about £27,000 worth of debt, which is this deferred taxation, the the um, tuition fees, they will have had loans to pay the tuition fees of the colleges and the universities where they've been trained. So a nurse enters her working life or his working life with about, you know, getting close to £30,000 worth of debt. And they don't get paid a great deal. So I would have liked to have seen Boris Johnson do something much, much better. Cancel the the, the tuition fees for nurses. Open up more places for doctors and nurses or to train so that people can get qualified here in the UK. We cannot keep relying on taking other countries, doctors and nurses. We need to train our own. And we are going to have to leave it there. Uh, We are at time, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure as always. Marty, thank you for coming in today. I appreciate you taking the time. And we will get you back next week. Next week, I believe we're going to do a talk on the... uh what is it, the societal change or something like that? The agenda of societal change? I believe that's that's going to be the, we're going to do a special with you, yes? Well, it's really a special with you, with me asking you more questions, because <laughs> you're, the man that, you're the man that does the research. I'm a bit lazy and probably don't read enough. So I come to you for answers a lot of the time. I don't always believe exactly what you tell me, but don't yeah. Don't have to. We need, no, I know, but we should, yeah, we, we need to talk about that because the more and more I'm seeing things happening, the more I'm convinced that that you're possibly right. I don't want to be right, sir. I don't. I, I really don't. Yeah. But we will have to leave that for the next time you're on, which will be uh, 
very soon. So uh, yeah. thank you for your time today, Marty. Thank you for your time today, Bruce. For those of you who have not and you would like to, please do give us a follow over on the platform of Parlor, the social media platform of Parlor. We appreciate all of the comments that you leave us, the likes, the echoes, the upvotes. Uh, we, we appreciate that. Please do give us your feedback as well. You can parlay to us. We love hearing your comments, your, uh, your your feedback, good and bad. We'll take it all. We don't care. You know, if it's bad, if it's bad feedback, especially we want that because then we can turn around and we can realize, hey, okay, well, you know, maybe we should look at it in a different point of view or something like that. Maybe we're not understanding it. Maybe you see something we don't see, but that's good feedback to have either way. And also, if you do like the content you're hearing, please do recommend us to friends and family. We would really appreciate if you would pass us along to them. We're a family-oriented show. We like to have good, healthy, reasonable dialogue, which is not a lot of what we're hearing these days. And so, I mean, it's it's essential that we try and uh, we try and get this back, uh, and we promote some really good conversations within uh, within our friends and family. So, if you could please pass this along to friends and family, we would really appreciate that. So, Bruce, Marty, and GP for coming in the last five minutes. Thank you guys for your time tonight, and from all of us here, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for listening because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible. We love you, and we love freedom and independence, and together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas. So, we'll see all of you tomorrow.